This is Coda Radio, episode 546, for November 27th, 2023. Hey friend, welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. Over here in Seattle, my name is Chris, and down there in Florida, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello. Hello, sir. Welcome on in. It's been a really, really busy week. Uh, we've been following the news closely. And then just this morning, as we get on the air, Amazon debuts their brand new Workspace Thin client. They've basically repackaged the Fire TV Cube with its like 2.2 gigahertz ARM processor and 2 gigs of RAM. And they're making it a Thin client for the Amazon like you know, remote desktop workspace stuff. Yep. And they say, we've built an entirely new software stack for the device. And since we didn't have to design and build new hardware, we're passing those savings along to the customer, which means it's just under 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah. It's back. Are you excited to see thin clients back, Mike? You, get, you know, when you bring on a, a hire or maybe it's a contractor for like a six-month stint, you could just send them a cube now. Uh, you know, I've never been a fan of this. It's just a lot of work to get everything up and running and to manage the virtual environments. I looked at this a little bit when it came out this morning. It certainly seems like there's quite a bit of lock-in here. So that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, this is a cycle we keep running, right? Every, what is it, like 10 years or so, we have to go back to, actually, you just need a thin client. I can't tell if, are you sick and your voice sounds weird, or is it the audio that's off? I I'm can't sick tell. and my, I've been hearing it all day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Tell you what, man, that's bad. That's bad. I've always been a big fan of this idea, but at a local scale. I actually mm. think it's kind of brilliant for a local shop on a LAN with Ethernet <laughs> to have one powerful box and replace four or five of some of the basic workstations, not the high-end stuff, but some of the basic workstations with a thin client. And then, you know, because you're just – then it's just every five years or so you're upgrading that central server. You can keep the thin clients, keep the monitors, keep the keyboard and mice, and you don't have to shell out the money for all new machines every five years. And those machines aren't very demanding. So I'd love to see this become more common and standardized, but I don't like this direction of it where it's kind of just a piece of hardware is built for one cloud provider. That seems wasteful to me. Yeah, it seems strange, right? Because wouldn't you think your thin client could be, you know – just Chrome in any co computer. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's that was my thought too. It's, it's so funny that they just like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll just, AWS is technically a separate company now, but we're just taking the Fire TV Cube from another division inside Amazon and we're using that. <laughs> is AWS separate? Yeah, they technically are their own like sub whatever company. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, a subsidiary. Thank you. Thank you, myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, AWS recently became Amazon Web Services, Inc., became a subsidiary of Amazon. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure those lines are pretty blurred. David wrote into the show, and he's asking for our take on AGI, I think. He says, uh, can you give us your thoughts on AGI, artificial general intelligence? I don't see it anywhere on the horizon. I certainly have not seen it in ChatGPT. But things are moving so fast, maybe it's coming. Now, um, AGI, I think just so we can we have a general common set of agreement of terms, is like AI that can kind of think for itself. You know, maybe it can do some basic math. Um, it can learn and adapt on its own. 
whereas a large language model has to be trained against a set of data, and then you train it again and you train it again, whereas an AGI, in theory, could sort of self-learn as it goes along. Right, so not ChatGPT. Right, right. It'd be great if ChatGPT could. Uh, what are your thoughts on the likelihood that we're going to see AGI this year? Zero. Really? Even with all of this Q-star drama coming out of OpenAI? Yeah, yeah, zero. No way. Oh, I love this spicy. Of course, wait, well, I guess I guess this year. I mean the next 12 months, not in 2023. Still zero. Okay. Yeah, I I, okay. I don't see it. It's... um. In fact, I know this is our main topic today, and I, I'm sure some people are getting bored with all the AI topics, but it, it is in the news, right? Um, the level of pearl clutching on this is, frankly, maddening to me. Around AGI? Right. It, it It's confusing technology for magic in a lot of ways, right? They think that, you know, it's almost as if that, you know, Sam Altman or some dude in Google or wherever is going to get the right incantation out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and all of a sudden, Anubis, the AI agent, is going to be summoned, and, you know, two steps to Skynet. I, I honestly, I cannot figure out what the, quote, humanity-threatening angle of AGI is. So, David asks a good question here, because this has been the big debate, right? It's And the big debate is, is that AGI is so dangerous that we have to slow it down. We, you know, we, we have to fire Sam. Because it's so dangerous. But, you know, we have some details here. And the details, Mike, they don't impress. Alderon.games slash coder. Alderon Games is looking to hire some talented remote workers. I spoke with Matt, the lead over there at Alderon Games. And I got kind of an idea of what he's looking for. And the logic, it's pretty self-explanatory. If you're listening to this show, there's probably a good chance you're someone Alderon wants to talk to. I mean, that's really the nature of it is it's kind of a self-selecting audience. And so there's a lot of positions over there that kind of fill the range of skill sets in our audience, too. Starting with a QA tester position, a back-end PHP developer, an Unreal Engine developer, Node.js, game security engineer. There's actually probably some positions that are technically they're open to. They're just not listed on their site because they're growing pretty quick, including... They need some Linux backend experience. It's a pretty great shop, too. I, I really like their story. They started a while ago. They've been growing over the years. They're independent, self-publishing. It's really kind of in the spirit of how JB does things. I like that. There's nobody telling them what they have to publish or what they have to do in the game to nickel and dime the player. They get to focus on the content. I like that a lot. And I like that Matt's a listener and he's reaching out to other listeners, too. So if you're looking for some great remote work, Alderon Games is hiring. Go to alderon.games slash coder to see the jobs. And also, it's kind of a way to signal to them you heard about it here, so it kind of gets your foot in the door, I would imagine. Now, you might want to go brush up your resume, maybe your GitHub profile, get things all ready to go, and then head on over there and see what's available. And maybe if you're a good fit but you don't see the exact position, still reach out. Again, that's alderon.games slash coder. They're looking to hire some talented remote folks. A great remote job could be waiting for you at alderon.games slash coder coder altman teased at a summit in san francisco the asia pacific economic cooperation summit that you may have heard about the one they cleaned up the streets for and this is what he said quote four times now in the history of open ai the most recent time was just in the last couple of weeks i've gotten to be in the room when we sort of push the veil of ignorance back and the frontier of discovery forward and getting to do that is the professional honor of a lifetime. 
And people have taken that to insinuate he was talking about AGI. And reportedly, this AGI system is called QSTAR from within OpenAI. And reportedly, some researchers wrote a letter to the board sort of panicking about the imminent, quote, humanity-threatening danger, end quote, that this QSTAR system would propose. And supposedly now, it goes, that this is the discussion that ultimately led to the board deciding to fire Sam. As we've been told, the board is there to maintain safety, right? Sam wasn't on the board, so we had this check and balances system. And the check and balances system fired and said, we got a problem here. So according to the leaks coming out of OpenAI, Mike, you're wrong. They're, they're, in fact, it's so close, it's, quote, humanity threatening, and they had to fire Sam over it. Yeah, I read that too. I just, well, one, you know, an advancement doesn't mean you went from zero to hell 9,000, right? I just, I'm sorry. I just don't buy it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong and it will be the Cylons. I'm running out of sci-fi robots here. The Borg, yeah. I think it's more likely that they made some progress. Yeah. And it's all a little overhyped because... You know, a lot of egos get involved, right? I think from a lot of the reporting, we can see that, yes, there was this concern, but there was also quite a bit of just straight-up good old-fashioned power struggle, right? Just like good old down-home mama's apple pie capitalist board struggle. I mean, look, maybe there's some classified bunker likely in Beijing (laughs) that has, uh, like, you know, the HAL 9000. That's not my sense. That's not my sense. My sense is that this... You know, my sense is, I was actually going to do a topic today, but I, I just felt like crap this morning. My sense is that really the industry has slowed down quite a bit. And the Sam Altman story, while hilarious and stupid, is kind of really a very basic misalignment of people's incentives. And honestly, we've seen it with all of, with a bunch of the Linux-oriented foundations too. Not not necessarily the Linux Foundation, but a bunch of them. You get a lot of big egos in the room, a lot of money on the line. Yep, somebody's in it for the free software. Somebody else is in it for the commercial capabilities. Right. You ha- you have your you have your Unix beards, and then you have your guys who are like, guys, we need to make money, right? And there's yep. this whole. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I, I and I think what we what we were just kind of put on display and seeing, we all got to watch is. What they told us all along, that the board was in charge and they were maintaining safety, while Sam went out and scared every world leader that would have a meeting with him and testified in front of every type of Congress that would have him to scare them all into regulating AI. And so while he was there promising that OpenAI would be one of the responsible ones that could be involved in the regulation discussion because we had this special structure with the board, which is how he was selling it the entire time, it turns out that was all completely bogus. And when things got spooky and they were afraid of, and they pulled the safety alarm, what we really learned is all of that was bullshit. And that Microsoft was able to just come right in because money is the influence and they're divvying this money out in chunks, not all at once. And money was the real kingmaker here, and they reversed this entire thing. And now they have two heavy-hitter commercial dudes, like Larry Summers, on the board. Only one of the original board members is left, and you got Sam, who isn't on the board, but he's now back as CEO, and he clearly wants to commercialize this thing. And then you got Microsoft, who's still in the room. So everybody who was concerned about the safety aspects of this essentially lost in this power struggle. 
Yeah, I mean, and and that's giving them a ton of credit and saying their concerns were the only issue Even, they had. Right, right, right. I mean, I I tend to think that this, like all other nonsense and particularly open source projects, starts off with a legitimate disagreement and ends up just being, well, you know, f- that guy, right? It just ends up being about personalities. I think it, it's, well, this is my job. This is my duty. And it goes from that into a, a personal thing. Yeah. I don't know about you, but so if you're not buying... The AGI thing very much like if that's a that's a pretty weak hand and I just I don't think I'm buying it either. Then it kind of unravels the entire narrative we've been told here. Everything kind of falls apart from the structure of the company being basically a bogus structure, but also you know it's just it's just an extremely tidy narrative. It's just a little too tidy. Well, it's great. And the narrative is is that we develop something incredible. So a they're way ahead of everybody else in the industry. Mm-hmm. They're beyond even what some people can conceptualize at this point. So that's how far ahead they are. So that's how good they are. B, they were trying to be extra crazy, duper, super safe. And of course, it went a little sideways, but you know what? They were trying really hard, right? Like this whole thing is very, very tidy because it makes them look like massive innovators. It makes them look like the safety concern came up and it positions Microsoft fantastically in the market now. And I think not all, I don't think the Microsoft aspect was planned or any of this. But it just feels like if you look at everybody who controls the information and is putting out there what happened, everybody's incentivized to have this nice, tidy excuse. And it, I, I just don't – I don't buy it as much. It's, it's a too tidy of an excuse and something feels off about it from the structure never working in the first place to Altman's motivations all along to the fact that – what we're to take away from this entire thing is that the open AI people are some sort of super geniuses that are 20 years ahead of Google and that they were trying to be super duper safe. And it just everybody comes off looking like aces here. Well, and, what, and I'm not buying it. Yeah. I mean, and what you know, there, there's certainly some boobery here. Right. I'm not saying it was like three level chess, but this does reinforce the whole agenda they've had, which is you know, the same thing Facebook tried and failed. Right. Oh, let us help you write the regulations because we we're the biggest. We know how to do it. And if you don't, you know, all these right you notice the word safety and responsible keep coming up. What that really means is big. Yeah. Right. It, it's this is about getting some regulation in place under the guise of, you know, Skynet, I guess. Um I, I think the real more serious arguments that are uh, less good, though, right, that are more transparently anti-free speech are the, like, oh, elections and AI Facebook ads could be bad. I also kind of give the average person a little more credit than that. So I I don't know. This To me, this is, you know, if, if I was Sam Altman, I'd probably be trying to do the same thing, right? I have the lead. How do I keep my lead? Well, I get these hippies off my board, right? <laughs> First thing, get the, yeah. get the beards out. Or put them in yeah. employee positions where they just have to kind of take their marching orders. And I would definitely want to regulate a moat around myself. So Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the plan. Um, I would love to hear, not the audience, although you're welcome to, but I would love to hear Sam articulate the risks around AGI specifically. And I'm so well, sick of he, vague. He has. Vague. He has, what? right? So when he talks, he doesn't talk about Skynet, like the bull you'll hear on like CNN. He's yeah. he's very open and and because he's you know he knows the politicians. He he basically it's it's Trump, 
right? It's it's an election. Oh, uh, so it's misinformation, right. election but, interference. And, right, and okay. that is, I mean, if if I was selling it and I wanted to smoke, you automatically have 50% of Congress with that. So Yeah, that's true. And then that's you get true. kind okay. of the, let's be honest, uh, stupid congressmen who maybe just look good and were able to get, you know, we, I'm thinking of a number of congressmen, possibly from my neck of the woods, that have no business there, but are dumb enough to believe that they're Skynet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see. So the I see it's kind of yeah. Mm. Oh, it feels like a lot of manipulation. Um, you know, there's so speaking of this risk, this is a, another trend that it's now moving so fast that I can't really keep track of it for the show anymore. But it's essentially regulation by bureaucrats, not through any kind of voting mechanism. Uh, Britain, the U.S., and other countries have inked an agreement to make AI secure by design. It's a 20-page document unveiled this Sunday on a Sunday. Mm. It's 18 countries in total that have agreed that companies designing AI need to develop and deploy it in a way that keeps customers and the wider public safe from misuse. Here's a quote. This is the first time that we have seen an affirmation that these capabilities should not just be about cool features and how quickly we can get them to market or how we can compete to drive down costs. They told Reuters that the guidelines represent, quote, an agreement that the most important thing that needs to be done at the design phase is security. What I took away from this, because it's just kind of like a non-binding agreement, so it's basically all these countries just getting together saying that AI safety is important. But what I what I found fascinating is the, the way it's presented. Quote, an affirmation that these capabilities should not just be about cool features and how quickly we can get them to market or how we can compete to drive down costs, end quote. And that's said as a positive thing. Because of safety and you know being responsible, but if I were to put on my capitalist small business hat for a moment, what it sounds like is stifling an industry before it's even actually got its own legs, right? Like I I, I look at the U.S. economy and think, well, what's really going to make money in tech over the next couple of years? AI has a great shot of really ripping if they can deliver on sound products that meet market demands. But in order to do that, they're going to have to innovate a lot harder and faster. They're not quite there. And in order to close that last 10%, it's going to be a lot of work. Now, how does an industry innovate at market scale if they're constantly being constrained by their state government, by their federal government, by whatever it might be, by their local government, who's always constantly looking over it and requiring you to go get an auditor, which is like an inspector who's going to cost a certain amount and then certify that your code's safe. Like these types of things are are essentially preemptively stifling what could have been a tech boom, which our economy could very much use coming into the next year. And it just seems like we're just immediately, before we've even got this thing on its legs, we're holding it down and tying it back. I mean, besides all of the pearl clutching that you have mentioned, we're also stifling this at a commercial level that we've never done to software development ever before. And I I, I look at this and think we're making multiple really kind of like breaking mistakes at the beginning of this. Imagine if this kind of muddling was going on during the early development of the Internet and TCP IP and we had safety and we had all these kinds of rules and you know 18 countries signing you know safety agreements around where 
IP packets can go and what they can be and can't do. Well, I think that's exactly the case they're trying to avoid. Right. It seems like the these folks see that as a mistake. Right. It's their chance to fix the mistake of the Internet, that they weren't they weren't hip to the Internet and they got by them. Right. I mean, when I read this this morning, it, it really popped out to me that from these uh, kind of regulatory perspectives, government perspectives, the ideal relationship for, for really the whole tech industry is the one they have with the telco industry. Where, you know, man, Verizon just does, will give them whatever they want. And they don't even have to, like, serve them a warrant, right? I, I just saw another, in a, a couple of weeks ago, another Snowden-esque story about how AT&T has these rooms everywhere for the federal government. Just still, It's still going on. 20 years later, it's still going on, you know, or whatever. Come in. They don't know what they're taking. They don't know what they're looking at. It's, uh, I mean, and that is, uh, you know, making kind of steel manning their argument. Hey, man, we've got, like, a missing kid, right? And you know what? I don't want to wait to deal with apple's bitchy lawyers who are gonna talk some about encryption and i want to walk into the at&t you don't want misinformation you, you you actually don't want misinformation do you well right that it's the same thing it's now i i think that i mean if we look at our good friends in the eu who we we obviously love they're trying to throw people in jail for saying things that are let's say not nice that's the extreme version of this i don't know man i i, I think <laughs> I think they're going to get it, right? Because the only vendors who are going to have this are going to be OpenAI, which, let's be honest, it may not be Microsoft's uh, husband or wife, but it's certainly a, a side piece, at least. And it's going to be Google to a lesser extent, but Google has already shown a willingness to cave. Apple has had a little more of a backbone, but the minute that interferes with margins, that's it. Uh, I mean, Apple's not really doing this type of thing. So... It seems to me that this is just learning the lesson that really began in the late 80s, early 90s of if the network is truly distributed and anybody could have a node and anybody can you know do what they want to do, it's actually super hard for them to do the surveillance things they want to do. Oh my God, I'm dating myself here. Remember when you used to be able to buy domains like anonymously or with fake names all the time? <laughs> Bullshit addresses and everything. And now that's- Forever ago. Yeah, now hovers like all over my ass because I own so many domains. They're like constantly sending me verification things. I mean, let's talk about banking, right? It used to be more or less you could do your banking. Now it's all this KYC stuff. So definitely. Or, you know, even if you just want to, maybe you're going to go buy a washer and dryer. You know, like I got to call my bank and beg to have access to more of my money. Right, right. And like I call in and, and they're like, okay, and what will you be using this for? And how long do you need it? And I'm like, I don't want right. it. Like, it's like calling your dad and being like, may I? Yeah. I don't like that sensation at all. And no, I don't like it. I, I, I don't want that with my new tech. I don't. And here's what I've noticed. So when I was down at adopting Bitcoin, I saw two different communities were working on their own their own large language models for their local community. And one was like uh, the group wanted it to have a very specific political bias and they didn't like the political bias of the existing large language models. And so they wanted something that answered from their point of view. And then another one is called the spirit of Satoshi and it's being designed for the Bitcoin community. So it has like an Austrian economics point of view and it has you know, it's been extensively trained on Bitcoin information. So it's like hyper-focused on that community. And I, I think you're going to see more of this. You're going to see more and more localized large language models that are, you know, they're not 
they're not big giant systems that can connect all these different APIs with all these plugins that can order you a coffee while it books you a flight that gets you a taxi to take you to a hotel room to go to a stadium. But, you know, it'll know a lot about Bitcoin or it'll know a lot about closure. Or it'll know a lot about Rust. You're going to have like these localized large language models, I think, as a response to these large ones essentially being preemptively captured by government. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a, a really interesting question. Let's say you're in Ireland or the UK where they have some of these, I would say, kind of insane speech laws. And I don't know, you're a little drunk, right? You're doing whatever, you're screwing around, and you make a meme that's slightly off color. Not threatening to kill anybody, you know, not like an actual threat, but, you know, like, I don't like, you know what? BSD users are idiots. There's your meme, right? Well, you've taken a group, I know this is a bad example, but... Right, any group of people in the UK and in uh, in Ireland, they're proposing that's a you could go to prison just for that. Just think about any like drunken argument you've gotten into as like an eighteen year old is now a, a felony, effectively, or their their version of a felony. Right now, what you type into your search boxes uh, or to your Chat GPT prompt, and if this stuff goes through. The AI vendors are either going to have to self-report what you're doing, right, with the uniquely identifiable user ID, or it's simply going to be like the telcos where, you know, the men in black just come in and read all the phone data. So, yeah, everybody gets to go to jail. It's a good time to have a self-hosted podcast, I think. Yeah, but your 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 host can rat you out, too. That doesn't even work. No, anymore. I mean, you know, host it yourself on your... Off-the-grid satellite internet, yes. Yeah. Solar... Satellite, you know, go with your Elon link. <laughs> well, I look at this all and I think something feels a bit off. So audience, if you've got your own theories or if you think we're off on our theories, uh, boost in or let us know at coder.show slash contact. Because to me, I feel like we still, A, haven't gotten the full picture of why Sam was fired. And B, it's such a very tidy excuse. So am I off on that or do you see it a different way? Let us know. It's always a great reason to boost in. Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to get 100 devices. That's not like a limited time thing. That's the plan I'm using. Tailscale.com slash coder. It's a great way to support the show, too, and I think you're going to love Tailscale. It is a zero-config VPN that you'll get up and running in just minutes across multiple devices, different OSs, CPU architectures, operating systems, etc., it's really powerful, it's really quick, and it's all protected by WireGuard. Devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol for encryption, and it builds out a flat mesh network using the best VPN security in the business. And you can get started in just minutes. And there's a lot of nice tools, too. In fact, my buddy Alex just released a video on the Tailscale YouTube channel where he goes into how you can leverage some of these things like Tailscale SSH, which is like magic and Tailscale Send, which is like AirDrop, but for all your Tailscale devices. What I personally have found to be really powerful for me is all of my self-hosted services for JB and for me personally, all are on Tailscale now. I no longer have anything on the public internet. And that, of course, is just better from a security standpoint and just like an attack surface standpoint. But it also means that when I'm traveling and I'm on public Wi-Fi or I'm on airport Wi-Fi or I'm on coffee shop Wi-Fi, I mean, you get my point, right? It means that that stuff's always over tail scale. Always. I really like that because you combine that with some other choices I've made. Like I sync all of my contacts to NextCloud, which is hosted behind tail scale. It's all on there. Just 
on Tailscale, no public internet. It's a game changer for accessing business information. So if you're an enterprise, you can transition from these complex VPN solutions that are intricate to manage and expensive to support, and you can move over to something like Tailscale, but it'll still integrate with your enterprise authentication system and your two-factor if you use it. It's such an amazing solution because it's great for the individual and it scales all the way up to the enterprise. It's an innovation that I think is a bigger innovation than Dropbox was, where you could find individuals using it and businesses using it. And it was just something everybody needed. Tailscale, I think, is at a bigger level because it's at networking, which means it impacts everything that uses your network. And it's such a simple and secure way to protect your data and bring all your devices across different platforms and providers together into one flat network. I love it. I could go on all day about it, but here's what I'll do. I'll leave with this. Go check it out. It's a great way to support the show, and you can run it up to 100 devices when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go. Support the show and get those 100 devices. It's fantastic. Tailscale.com slash coder. Well, after all these years, even when I've gotten to near Linux desktop utopia, I still feel like I am struggling with some of the most basic stuff that just kind of makes me want to throw in the hat sometimes. Can I can I share a bit of desktop Linux woes with you that maybe I can get some ideas from the audience, but... This is a safe Docker container, yes. So I've got an old-ish rig. It's like an i7-5820K with 12 cores. Uh, it's got a really old Radeon RX 570 in there. 64 gigs of RAM, and I'm running NixOS 2305, of course, with uh, the Genome desktop. And I have had this ongoing problem for about a year that really wrecks what is otherwise my perfect setup. And that is, it is really stupid. I can't seem to find a functioning web browser for Linux, at least on this machine. I got lots of machines that don't have this problem, but on this machine, I got a problem. It all starts just over a year ago when I decided I was going to give up Chrome because I didn't like the direction they're going with the manifest stuff and all that. Switched to Firefox and was very happy. Working really well. I think I kind of picked a sweet spot in the Firefox trajectory. Was working for almost a year. And then an update came along. And all of a sudden, randomly when I would interact with the Firefox UI, the browser would completely crash. It would just dump. And I often would have three or four monitors with Firefox windows on all of them. Some of them would have multiple tabs, and it would fail to restore them properly. And it, it, it bit me a couple of times when I was filling out a form for something, and I was like, okay, that's it. I, I can't use Firefox, at least not for my active browsing. I can leave it up on a, on a monitor with a page like a dashboard, and I can leave it there for three days, and it won't, it won't, it'll be fine. But if I interact with the UI too much, it'll dump. All right, well, so I don't want to switch back to Chrome, but, you know, this is right around the time when the Bing chatbot came out. I'll try, I'll try Edge because they're actually pretty good about supporting some desktop Linux standards. They got this new chatbot thing. It's Chromium-based, so some of the sites that I've been wanting to use that work better with Chrome. Okay, yeah, all right, I'll go to Edge. So I switched to Edge. It's going pretty good, pretty happy. I get all signed in. I got my stuff all synced until one day. When my machine boots up, it auto-logs in. And the next cloud client, if I, if I don't authorize and unlock the GNOME keychain in fast enough, the next cloud client will say, hey, I, I need to authorize. 
I, I haven't logged in yet. I, I need the keychain open so that way I can authorize. And then that if you don't, if you then don't enter the password, say a couple of minutes goes by, maybe you're downstairs making coffee. It'll fire up your default browser and send you to your next cloud instance to now authorize the next cloud client. The problem is, if Edge gets launched before the keyring has been unlocked, Edge loses its mind. It drops its state on everything. It's like the first time you've ever launched the browser. You're signed out of everything. So you're going to spend the entire morning re-signing in two-factor into absolutely everything because, God forbid, Edge launched before you unlocked the GNOME keyring. <clears throat> this bit me like three times, oh. and that was it. I was out. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it work. So now I'm on Chrome again. Chrome seemed like it was working pretty good. You know, so I've gone from Chrome to Firefox to Edge, now back to Chrome. Things are going pretty well. I'm on it for about two months. And then the more recent Chrome update, the one we covered on the show, came out. And when that came out, from that point forward, nothing that the browser renders is comprehensible. It's all just symbols and garbage. Like the bookmarks menu is fine, the file menu is fine, but like anything that's, re- that's rendered by the browser engine is just symbols and garbage. And, you know, this is after a couple of months. I finally, like, capitulated. I've gone back to Chrome. I got it all set up. I'm all logged in. I'm using it. I'm bookmarking again. I'm all in. And it updates. And now all I get is garbage. Now, this doesn't happen on any of my other systems, but in the most important workstation I have, this is what happens. So now I'm on the Chrome Developer Edition, the Chrome Dev Channel, which is no doubt going to bite me in the butt somehow, but currently renders text. And I'm wondering if other people have experienced this. Uh, I've experimented with Wayland versus X11. It doesn't really seem to make much of a difference. I do normally just run everything in Wayland, and I have got Chrome set to run in Wayland. Try it with X. Didn't make a difference. Uh, and I, it feels like I have built a supercomputer workstation, right? I got multiple monitors going. It's fast. I got a big disk array in there where I can run VMs and have Scratch for editing, and I have tons of storage and... 64 gigs of RAM. It's running really solid with Nix OS. I can roll back if anything gets weird, so the desktop is really solid. But yet, I can't just get a basic effing web browser to work. And it's so frustrating. Yeah, that sounds terrible. The only, I guess, silver lining is if it's working in the dev channel, presumably that update comes to stable soon, right? Right, right. That's what I'm thinking. It's like maybe in a month or two or something, I, or like when Dev finally bites me in the butt, I go back Never to Chrome. Happily work. <laughs> and this, I think, is kind of like the Linux paradox in one particular anecdote, right? Where you can have this monster system that is so configured and dialed in and tuned perfectly for your workflow. But, like, super basic thing that's been solved in desktop computing for a decade is going to plague you. And it used to be Wi-Fi, you know, it used to be this power and sleep. And now it's, like, I think it's some of these heavy graphical applications because we're in this X11 Wayland transition and these developers are not super focused on Linux. And there's bumps, you know? There's bumps, especially when you're on the, you know, the well, with Chrome, you're always on the leading edge, I suppose. But, you know, I look over at that MacBook and I think, Am I just fooling myself? Should I? It, it, am I? Am I just uh, like 
a glutton for punishment? Should I just grab that MacBook, fire it up, and just make it my desktop and just not deal with this? I just think that I'm really, really just getting hooked on Apple. True. And it's like the deeper I get into that, like the harder it's going to be to get out when they inevitably rug. So it's like, why slide back, right? I feel like I'd be sliding back. I think you just got to wait for the update. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so far the dev channel hasn't really bit me, so. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, if you've experienced this, dear audience, my God, let me know what you did to fix it. If you were able to fix it, please, because it drives me crazy. You know, I want to also take a moment and thank our members, the CoderQA crew at CoderQA.co. We still have the Black Friday going for a little bit longer where it takes two bucks off for a year. You can support the show that way. You get an ad-free version of the show, and you get the Coderly, which I presume, I mean, the holiday schedule's crazy, but I presume if we can, we're going to try to get a, uh, a holiday Coderly out there for you all, too. Who knows? Between getting sick all the time and the holidays, we have pre-records we'll have to do coming up, because I think like one of our episodes lands like on Christmas. <laughs> this year, like the, holidays, the holiday train hits us hard. We get lucky some years. Not this year. But if you want to support the show directly... Help make our audience the biggest customer, give a little value back to the show, and keep us going, especially in the ad winter. We always appreciate that baseline over there at coderqa.co. Thank you, everybody. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. Well, Ben went over to getalby.com, topped it off, and hit the podcast index, and he is our baller booster this week with 99,709 sats. Hey, Richard! Well, I fell a couple of months behind on my, quote, subscription boost with the recent move. So consider this catching up. It's a zip code boost, but I'll save you the hassle. It's from Fairbanks, Alaska. Well, hello, Fairbanks. Nice. One day. One day I shall travel to Fairbanks. I don't know why. I just got, like, I just got the Alaska bug. I really want to get there. I'd love to do it, like, in a camper truck or a van or take a ferry up there and then get like an airbnb i mean I, anyway and then we can throw a frisbee across to our russian neighbors right from our house <laughs> yeah yeah thank you ben for the support and thank you for being our baller this week really appreciate it leo a comes in with one two three four five sets yep you guessed it Spaceballs boost so the combination is one two three four five the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. Now he says, how do you all talk about SBF taking the witness stand without also recalling that the file system developer Hans Reiser also testified at his own murder trial? History runs. Damn, yeah, I'd forgotten about this. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely not the same thing, murdering your wife yep. versus uh, just some jaunty crypto <laughs> yeah, fraud. Huge... But... <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, this was a bad one. From I mean, this is going on. For both of them. It was bad for both of them when they took the stand. I mean... Not good. Yeah, this is a really bad story. If you want to look into it, go ahead more. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to dive into it. But this basically guy gets in an argument with his estranged wife and decides to uh, kill her. So, yeah. Yeah. From what we can tell. Yeah. Margie also comes in with a Spaceballs boost. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. <laughs> He's using Castomatic and he says... Hi, on-chain fees this week. Had me only able to use the sats in my Albie wallet, so boom, here they are. Keep fighting the good fight. Another great episode. You both appreciated. Everyone in the media acted like the recent OpenAI debacle was all about following Sam, but really it was about following the money, as always. Appreciate you guys. Don't have the herd-level takes, Marchie. Thank you, Marchie. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, to pat ourselves on the back for just a moment, I know I really shouldn't do this, but I can't resist because it's so juicy. We had to record that coder on Monday. We record on Mondays, sometimes Tuesdays, and the episode gets published on Wednesday. So the drama comes down on all weekend long, Monday morning, right before the market opens. Sache makes the announcement that Sam's been hired. We're recording basically after that announcement. We've got no other information to go on. And we go on the air and say, I don't think it's going to stick. I don't think Sam's going to stay at Microsoft. I think he's going back to OpenAI. That's what happened. And then it publishes on Wednesday, and that's what happened. (laughs) I was like, phew. Oh, that could have gone a way different direction for us. (laughs) See, we either got lucky or we've been around the block a few times or a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Our Ryan comes in, or our Hein comes in with 4,506 sats uh, using Castomatic, which is great on iOS. He says, I'm a first-time booster. Hey-oh. Thank you very much. You know what you get? You get a special pew-pew. says, thanks for the Strike recommendation. Yeah, Strike is on the Lightning Network, and it's now available in like 36 countries. Great way to top off Albi or Podcast 2.0 app. says, I use RHEL a lot in operation technology environments. I love the shows. I just wish I had to drive to work more often so I could catch up. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we, you know, we are the commuter's friend, Mike. That is very true. Yeah, and people, although you know what? That just means you're probably not walking enough. Maybe you're not doing enough chores. You know, if you're doing chores and walking, you can catch up on the show. He says it's a zip code boost, but when I search for uh, 4506, uh, I don't get any results. Uh, there's no, no results found. So you'll have to boost in and let us know what I got wrong. And tell us a little more about using RHEL in production and how that's been going. So we had four boosters this week, but we stacked 128,905 sats. Stack, stack, stack. Thank you, everybody. We really appreciate that. It's not a record breaker, but it's still very much appreciated. And it's a great way to independently support the show with no middleman, no weird intermediary person that's going to change over to, to Ireland and suddenly make everybody get their cards rejected. Nothing strange like that. Just you, me, and the sets. If you'd like to boost in, we got links in the show notes for that. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the people? Are you going to be very busy this week? It sounds like you should go back to bed. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be uh, – actually, I'm closing my physical office this week, finally. Oh, so wow. okay. Yes, save some money. I, I haven't been there in about three months. But other than that, I think I'm going to have to take some DayQuil or something. Yeah. I always think about selling the physical space. But with audio, being able to control the environment and having a space where people can come and we can do interviews, oh, my gosh. It's so, like, valuable that when I do record on the road or when I record from home, like, I really appreciate having that physical space. But you don't. You know, you don't have that kind of situation. No, in fact, it's louder there, right? We've done the test because they yeah. – <laughs> Yeah, it's true. They have like yeah, a with... contracting construction company next door that's always banging on in the back. So I think a lot of people are in your position. A lot of folks. Yeah, it's just not worth it. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 really not. Uh, where can you find me this week? Uh, I guess Weapon X uh, at Dumanuko. I'm uh, – yeah, I'm probably going to be a little offline catching up on work and trying to kick the plague. You know, we should pencil in next week is the Babylon 5 debate. Yes, I, I need I need a, I need a little more spice and vigor for it because I know I know my my shields are going to have to be way, way up. I feel like I should study the enemy a bit more, you know, so. <laughs> mm, OK, Trekkie. <laughs> yeah, I got to analyze my target. <laughs> got to know the soft spots. <laughs> the soft spot would be ratings. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, all right. Well, we'd love your feedback, so you can always boost in or go to coder.show slash contact. Links to what we talked about today will be at coder.show slash 546. There's lots of great shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com, like Linux Unplugged and the Self-Hosted Podcast. New stuff coming out all the time over there. Yeah, I'm on Weapon X at Chris LAS. The whole network's at Jupiter Signal, and the podcast is at Coda Radio Show. Follow us if you like to get announcements about releases. Follow me if you want to know when we go live. But the real action, that's at coder.show slash matrix. That's our chat room. Also, our RSS feeds and all that are on the website. I just want to say thank you very much for listening. Thank you for taking a moment to share the podcast. We really appreciate you. And you're welcome to join us live next week at Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Oh my God.